Okay. Here we are. Welcome to Strike and Mike, episode 288. Uh, a lot of things to talk about today. A lot of things to talk about. Um, I did want to actually read this message I got, and I've been given permission to read this message. Uh, this is from somebody who actually lives in the West Bank. A guy who I've actually been chatting with a little bit online, doesn't matter on what platform. Careful. Careful. Careful? Oh, no, nothing here is going to reveal any identity about the person. I don't even know. I specifically told him not to tell me. But what he said was this. Um, and just so you know, like I did go back and look through this guy's posting, and I saw many posts where he was speaking in Arabic and many posts where he seemed heatedly engaged in internal Middle Eastern shit that I don't know anything about. Uh, so I don't think this is bullshit. But yeah, this guy says to me, he says, um, uh, if I'm not mistaken, you were the guy holding the megaphone in the video who confronted that guy with his girl. I have to let you know, sir, how much I commend that boldness in facing that wily Jew that will earn the praise of almost everyone here. And then he says, this is a Jewish issue. Uh, many people try to remove the Jewish element from it and make it about Zionism. And I say, bullshit, the Jew fooled the world that he finds his satisfaction in the creation of a nation for him in Palestine when all that he wanted was a central organization for their international swindling operations. A linchpin for crooks removed from the intervention and supervision of other states and enjoying the privilege of indep an independent state can offer. Um, and then he said, uh, I asked him, and I told him who we were, and he basically said, of course, uh, this this uh, interface is not working for me now. He basically said that um, people don't really know or understand much about white people, and people in Palestine generally like Hitler, but don't understand much about him. <laughs> but seeing guys doing something as strongly like anti-Jewish and anti-Zionist as we were doing is going to be popular with anybody there. Oh, yeah. Paraphrasing what he said. He had some other things to say, but I don't want to say too much. But, yeah, so, yeah. you know, and this is a guy who has no intention of, like, <laughs> what, destroying Europe or something? <laughs> it doesn't. Well, I, I think that it, those those types of arguments have, have been defeated, refuted. Yeah. Yeah. Um, even Moldbug, who we all know is secretly a Zionist. Yes. Um, he's going out there to say, oh, take the clear pill. Don't yes. have an opinion. All you got to do is look back three or four months and you find him writing 10,000 word essays on right. the internal politics of Israel. And, uh, and he's telling you not to have an opinion. Right. Why am that, I required? It's very odd requirement not to have an opinion on on this specific thing okay well actually my the, the interface started working again he says uh i just wanted to see, what did he say he said um sorry yeah uh in palestine public consciousness of any anti-jewry stance will generally be appreciated someone like hitler is viewed with a positive light generally little is known about him aside from his staunch anti-judaic stance I believe the cause of whites is mostly obscure for the average person here. Your broader views and what you stand for. Understanding may be flawed due to misrepresentation of the media, but I strongly believe that if any Palestinian saw the video of you, he'd wholeheartedly agree. Here people generally recognize the whole hoax for what it is, so there's common ground here. The aggressiveness will also be appreciated. There's a substantial amount of illuminated Palestinians who are knowledgeable and are influenced by you guys, I don't think he means us. I think he means the white movement in America. Generally, he might just be that might be blowing smoke up my ass a little bit. I don't know. He says there's a growing interest in this conflict. Maybe what will lead many into the recognition of white nationalists. So he says, like basically, that people don't really know, but they they would appreciate it if they saw sure. it. And they're they're yeah. you know they need any friends they can get over there. Right. So well, we, yeah, we we are you know we're we're not. Germans from the 30s, but we have right. the general worldview of right. the national socialist ideal. Right. And that's all really that needs to be said. I mean, in a world where we run America, 
it'll be a peaceful world. Right. Okay. Right. It's a world without these these antics. I mean, I did a lot of research. I've been doing a lot of research all week. Um, I, I'm working, kind of working out a theory um, about Donald Trump and RussiaGate. And now we all know now at this point that RussiaGate was Israel Gate. Yeah. Right. Mm -hmm. But I have uh, uh, another layer. This is my theory, which is that Adam Schiff is um, himself some sort of Israeli asset who helped build the Russia Gate as, as the um, oh. for, Foreign Affairs Committee. And the reason I'm saying this is I recently came across an article by Tom Hayden written um, – in the 2000, during the 2006 Hezbollah War, uh, Lebanon War, mm -hmm. Tom Hayden was going to run for Congress. Now, he's Jane Fonda's husband, or was. He's dead now. Yeah. But um, all the way back then, he, became, he essentially became, a, a, he became Jew woke, and he wrote a lot of stuff. Now, he's a liberal. But you'd be surprised. I've uncovered like this liberal, uh, even centrist world, uh, generally encapsulated by James Bamford, who is a journalist. He's older. He's like 80 years old. But he's a journalist who's been writing about national security for, for a long time, decades. Okay, And this guy has a new book out called Spy Fail. Half of the book is about Israeli agents. Um, I came across it because I saw a review of it that was um, calling him an anti-Semite. This guy is, a, again, this guy writes for the nation. He's a liberal. Yeah. But there is a wealth of information that he's putting out there. So the... The, the claim extent. that Schiff is a, is a Zionist agent. Well, my thing is like he's not. He's not saying that. Okay, I, well, I'm 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 speculating but, because the reason for this is let me just uh, get to this real quick. So this is these two kingmakers in California politics called the Berman brothers, Howard and Michael Berman, mm -hmm. and Tom Hayden. Tom Hayden's political career, remember Jane Fonda's husband, yeah. was ruined by these two Jews, and. He mentions all the way back 15 years ago, more than that, how they handpicked Adam Schiff to be the congressman from uh, Pasadena. Um, and he said that their main priority, and these are two progressive Jews, right? Progressive Jew funders and kingmakers of the Democratic Party of California. Their main um, priority, and they told him this in private, was Israel. And when Tom Hayden wouldn't play along with the Zionist stuff, they ditched him and they went for Schiff. And I saw this thing all the way back from 2016. Schiff was signing these letters attacking Obama for Iran-related stuff and so on. So my theory – and by the way, they were saying that they were going to handpick Schiff to put him at the head – of the foreign of, of the of the uh, national security and foreign of basically uh, it's called the permanent select committee on intelligence and Adam Schiff is the chairman of it. <laughs> so, long story short, I suspect that RussiaGate was invented by Schiff along with others to cover up the Israeli role in getting Trump elected, particularly the Likud role. Who was um, that? Oh, man, I forget his name now. There was a Jew who was, like, super popular with libtard Trump haters on Twitter, and he wrote a book about this, and he was, like, really obsessively constantly digging into it. It doesn't really matter, but, yes, he was one of the main promoters of the theory. And I just remember when they when they closed the Mueller investigation, you know, looking at this guy's Twitter, and he was just like cope after cope after cope, constantly feeding more and more copes to these libtards. 
And at the time, I wasn't entirely sure what I was looking at. But in retrospect, it seems like, yes, like the, like the, the Jews particularly that got out in front of the Trump election fraud thing and were using and, and attacking Russia were like running interference for Israel, basically. Well, if you read the Mueller report, which I didn't basically, like <laughs> yeah, but it basically it basically says Russia didn't do anything. Right. Didn't they actually didn't actually – there was nothing pollute. conclusive at all about so, Russia. So what's going what, on? One thing – so the question then is what happened and Bamford says that what was very, very suspicious about the Mueller report is that there's no mention about the extensive uh, actual meddling done by the Mossad. Right. Um, and it was actually th – this is proven by the way. This came out in court documents. Roger Stone – and Jerome Corsi were approached by the Mossad, and they were basically used as assets by the Israeli um, intelligence to get to Trump. Is Isaac Mole? That's the name of the Mossad agent, um, and he was working on behalf of Bibi Netanyahu, who's also uh, Bibi Netanyahu's, um, I guess, cousin-in-law. He's the cousin of his wife, so Bibi sends Isaac Mole all over the world to do very sensitive types of, of, of intelligence operations. And what is so remarkable is this guy told, and we have the text messages, told Roger Stone about the WikiLeaks a month before they were released. Mm -hmm. um, right. And so, of course, one, of course, people would say, the, the theory Bamford, Bamford, Bamford has is that the Unit 8200 was eavesdropping on Julian Assange and the GRU. But my theory is that the Israelis, and they're known to have this power, uh, made it look like it was the Russian intelligence hacking these, these emails and whatnot when it was really the Israelis that were doing it. And the reason why they were doing it is they they were they were sick of the Iran nuclear deal. They essentially traded this information to Trump in exchange for concessions. One of them was to move the embassy to Jerusalem, which is not merely a symbolic act. I mean, mm -hmm. one could even argue that this actually was the first domino that led to October seventh. It is. Um, it was uh, moving the because what, what what that says when you move the the embassy to Jerusalem. What that says is that the two-state solution is off the table. Right. It's over. The, the United States will not recognize a, a Palestinian state because Jerusalem, East Jerusalem in particular, is supposed to be part of the Palestinian state. Well, Even it was – the Abraham Accords and the moving of the embassy and everything that Trump did – And leaving was, the Iran nuclear – Was heralded as the end of Oslo. Now, Oslo has been bullshit for 20 years – but there's a fiction of it that was maintained, and it actually it undermines the Palestinian Authority, who are effectively a proxy for Israel, when what they are pretending to be a proxy on behalf of, which is this Oslo agreement, is being undercut, and yet they continue to go and carry water for Israel. Right. It's a problem. Now, people might not understand all of these, the history and the agreements here, the Oslo Accords, it's the thing with... You know, they had Camp David where, like, Yasser Arafat and, and Yitzhak Rabin went and met with Bill Clinton. They hammered everything out. And then under the Oslo Accord, there was supposed to be a path to a two-state solution that included Palestinian democracy, voting for a temporary government in the territories, and that would be theoretically a roadmap to them having a state. Israel never intended to implement it. They sabotage it, and in fact, since the Oslo Accords were signed, they have quadrupled the amount of illegal settlements in the territory reserved for the Palestinians, and now by transferring their capital. So when you hear Jews say, the Palestinians don't recognize our right to exist, the Palestinians don't accept Israel, and, and uh, you know they want, they want from the river to the sea, they want to enter the state, it's like, well, I'm sure both sides want that. But right now, only one side is implementing it. Right. And so that's what's going on here. This article by Tom Hayden is very interesting. And it goes to show you that this shit has been going on for a long time.
Oh, yeah. It's not new. So, I mean, I could read some of this. This is a very yeah, interesting go article. Ahead and, go ahead and read it. It says, 25 years ago, this is from Tom Hayden in 2006 during the Lebanon War, Israel-Lebanon War, which Israel lost. <laughs> uh, 25 years ago, I stared into the eyes of Michael Berman, chief operative for his congressman brother, Howard Berman. I was a neophyte running for the California Assembly in a district that the Bermans claimed belonged to them. I represent the Israeli Defense Forces, Michael said. I thought he was joking. He wasn't. Michael seemed to imagine himself the gatekeeper protecting Los Angeles' west side for Israel's political interests and those of the famous Berman Waxman machine. Since Jews represented one-third of the Democratic District's primary voters, Berman had a balance of power. All that year, I tried to navigate the district's Jewish politics. The solid historical liberalism of the West Side was a favorable factor, as was the strong support of many Jewish community leaders. But the community was moving in a more conservative direction. Some were infuriated at my sponsorship of Santa Monica's tough rent control ordinance. (laughs) 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 They're they're all landlords. Greedy (laughs) Jewish landlords. Many in the organized community were suspicious of the new left for becoming Palestinian sympathizers after the Six-Day War. They would become today's neoconservatives. This is a thesis that everybody repeats across the board, from this liberal to libertarians to us, that these liberal Jews became flaming neoconservatives, and the, the yeah. inflection point was 1967. Yes. I had traveled to Israel in a generally supportive capacity, meeting officials from all parties, studying energy projects, befriending peace advocates like writer Amos Oz. I also met with Palestinians and commented favorably on the works of Edward Said. (laughs) As a result, the Berman ally prepared an anti-Hayden dossier in an attempt to discredit my candidacy with the Democratic leadership in the California state capitol. This led to the daily lunch with Michael Berman. He and his brother were privately leaning toward an upcoming young prosecutor named Adam Schiff, who later became the congressman from Pasadena. So, <laughs> this is going back to, I think, the, the, the 70s, I think this is. But they calculated that Schiff couldn't win without name recognition, so they were considering renting me the assembly seat, Berman said. But there was one condition, that I always be a good friend of Israel. This wasn't a particular problem at the time. Since the 1970s, I had favored some sort of two-state solution. I felt close to the local Jewish activists who descended from the labor movement and participated in the civil rights and anti-Vietnam movements. I wanted to take up the cause of the aging Holocaust survivors against the global insurance companies that had plundered their assets. All right. Well, you can't. You can't. Well, you can't correct guy, every the guy's problem. Guy's a right? liberal. Yeah, yeah. I'm sure he believes all this. Right, right. Well, I believe the Palestinians had a right to self-determination. I didn't share the animus on some of the American left who questioned Israel's very legitimacy. I was more inclined to the politics of Israel's peace now and those Palestinian nationalists and human rights activists who accepted Israel's pre-1967 borders as a reality to accommodate. I disliked the apocalyptic visions of the Israeli settlers I had met and thought that even hardline Palestinians would grudgingly accept a genuine peace initiative. I can offer my real-life experience to the present discussion about the existence and power of an Israeli lobby. It is not as monolithic as some argue. Yeah, this is actually true. He's right about this. There's many different Israel lobbies, actually. But it is far more than just another interest group in a pluralist political world. In recognizing its diversity, distinction must be drawn between voters and elites, between reform and orthodox tendencies, between less observant and the more observant during my ultimate 18 years in office, I received most of my Jewish support from the ranks of liberal and less observant voters, but I also received support from conservative Jews who saw themselves as excluded by the Jewish and Democratic establishment. However, all these rank-and-file constituencies were attuned to the question of Israel, even in local and state elections, and would never vote for a candidate perceived as anti-Israel or pro-Palestine. I had to be certified kosher, not once, but over and over again. The certifiers were the elites, beginning with rabbis and heads of the multiple mainstream Jewish organizations, especially each city's Jewish federation. This is what I've talked about before. I have talked about this before when sometimes people uh, – and, and I don't see this tendency as much anymore. But there's, there's, a, there's a story sometimes that people tell, particularly coming out of the libertarian camp, which is like Jewish ethnocentrism – 
creates like emergent action on behalf of Jews where they um, just sort of know what to do to be ethnocentric and to support Jews. Maybe in terms of their their ethnocentrism might be innate, their uh, desire to be accepted by their communities might be innate, but their communities are organized in top-down hierarchical fashion and they are all given marching orders. And here's yet more confirmation of that. Yes. Um, Tom Hayden is basically saying even the rank-and-file voters were sensitive to the topic, and all of them were effectively under the control of some hierarchy. There was some guru of their little niche of the Jewish community who would tell them how to vote and would tell them what to do, and they would do it. Um, And and it's not just how to vote. It's also who to put money behind. That's the most important Mm. thing. And I'll say another thing, too, is these people act as intermediaries for the Israeli government proper. Yes. Um, And Bamford has done great journalism documenting how people like Sheldon Adelson – let's just put it on the table here. Sheldon Adelson was an Israeli agent. Yeah. Okay. No different than Robert Maxwell. No different than uh, Arnon Milchin. The guy was literally working on behalf of Israel. And there's lots of evidence suggesting Haim Sabin, who is the top. So here you have Adelson, mm-hmm. the top Republican donor. And then on the other side, you got um, Haim Saban, Haim Sabin. That guy is also basically an Israeli agent. Well, here's what he says. He says, the certifiers were elites, beginning with rabbis and heads of the multiple mainstream Jewish organization, especially each city's Jewish federation. An important vetting role was held as well by the American Israel Political Action Committee, APAC, a group closely associated with official parties in Israel. Doesn't matter which parties they are, labor, blue and white, Likud, whatever. When necessary, Israeli ambassadors, councils general, and other officials would intervene with statements declaring someone a friend of Israel. So the Israeli government actually makes that final determination. Is this person a friend of Israel? Then that is disseminated by the American Jewish Committee, uh, the Jewish Federations, APAC, down to the local Jewish committees who say to their congregations to their communities this guy is kosher yes that's the level of which this is controlled so don't think for a second like there's a lot of kayfabe there's a lot of acting and bullshit that goes on even those fucking peace now jews have this designation yes they do they are des. they are allowed they are being allowed and instructed in what to do and how to run controlled opposition pro-Palestine stuff to, to prevent genuine pro-Palestine movements from emerging, to make sure that the ones that emerge are harmless and, also, and silly. And also to not <clears throat> make a, 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 a very distinct polarization against Israel and particularly against right. Jews. Right. Because if, if APAC is the only game in town, right. then what do you do when these these con- when the squad goes out there and starts complaining? Right. They are gonna need a they need a Jew that they can say see not all. They need a, they need a camp in every they need a foot in every camp. Yes. They need a Jewish foot in every camp. Even the most implausible. Like they would try and plant one in our camp if they could get away with it. Yeah, you see it all the time. What do you think the Bronze Age pervert yeah. people are? Yeah, of course. That 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 that's. Yeah, it. I always say this: like, there's a fake Palestine movement and there's a fake pro-white movement. Yeah, you, you got people like Amy Wax, mm-hmm. um, oh, Laura, Lo- Laura Loomer. Yeah, you know, Laura yeah. Loomer is more or less an Israeli operative mm-hmm. in, in our midst. Well, in and my view, so- all Jews are fundamentally operatives for their race that is very true and it's times like these where sometimes the act the theater goes out the window yeah when when israel is actually in trouble right um the vast majority of them have closed ranks and you hear these even the pro-palestine ones they'll do these qualified like oh i i don't agree with what hamas did but uh you know that kind of uh, qualification they only like they only like the uh, the Palestinians 
when they're victims, not soldiers. Yeah, um, and the, that's something we always the, say. The, and I, so, the I don't agree with what Thomas with, did. With, with, with whites, it's the same. Stephen Miller is a great example. Right. Know. Yeah, and, and just like with, with everything with Jews, uh, in order for you to be deemed acceptable by them, and, and therefore allowed access or further exposure to the public from to the extent they can control that, which is to a very great extent. Uh, it's only allowed once you have passed this vetting and been deemed whatever you are. And, and you need to – there are certain th- premises you need to accept. So on the Palestine side, you need to accept uh, that, that peace is, the, is, the, is, the, is what you want, right? Peace now. Well, right now – to some extent, one of the reasons you have a lot of Jewish communities asking for a ceasefire is because they feel that there's an advantage to Israel in that, to, to slow down with what they're yeah. doing because they're engendering a lot of hatred and resentment that's going to put Israel's security and international standing at risk. And they're trying to preserve it. So the whole – all of this stuff is like – you know, it's all very finely calculated. But you have to say we – it's like the, the joke, right? Like – the the Palestinian mother's like dead child is in her arms, and the news media is like, "Well, do you commit them Hamas though, right?" Yeah. So you always have to accept their framing, their premises first before any like uh, the guy who's the spokesperson from the Palestinian Authority goes on Christian Amanpour on CNN, and the very first thing, and she says it in a very very belligerent and obnoxious tone, like, "Do you condemn Hamas?" Right. Very first thing. As like drums are, bombs are being dropped on Palestinian people's heads right at that moment on the screen behind them. Like Israel's committing war crimes on the screen behind them and she's demanding that this guy uh, condemn Hamas. So Jews always want to make sure that you're compromised in some way by or that you're that in some way you're promoting a narrative that they want and they want to make sure that it's seen as absolutely verboten and absolutely beyond the pale. To not buy into their framing, which is why when that guy came up to me and he immediately tried to do the do you support Hamas thing, I was just like, yeah. Because I'm not letting him control the frame. Right. So uh, I, f- I, find it, I find it fascinating, by the way, that both Corsi and Stone were at InfoWars as they were operating essentially as Israeli agents. Yeah. Um, not all Israeli agents are Jewish. They need some non-Jewish ones, too. And they have these collaborators. A lot of them are boomer cons that already like Israel or see profit in supporting Israel. Oh, man. And that's who Isaac Molo, uh, it's spelled M-O-L-H-O, notorious Mossad agent. In fact, uh, Netanyahu sends him out for the most sensitive missions of all. Dude, his name is literally Molo. Yes, Isaac Mullen. I remember he's in, this guy. He's in, he's, in Trump's, he's in Trump's inner circle, too. Right. And he's a spy. He's an Israeli spy. Mm-hmm. Uh, so my question is, here's another thing. Again, speculative. Don't have hard evidence. We may never even have to dream of, of hard evidence. But I've been doing my own research. Because there's one thing when I was supporting Trump in 2016 that I found to be very shady, that almost got me to not support Trump anymore. And that was the lawsuit from a Jane Doe uh, shortly before the election was happening, saying that Trump molested this girl when she was 13 at a party with Epstein. Now, mm-hmm. what, I find, what I found strange about it at the time is like any and any accusation against Trump was getting tons of press coverage. Mm-hmm. But this one wasn't. And so that made me curious about it. Mm-hmm. And um, by the way, the w- one of the affidavits in that lawsuit was a woman who claimed that she recruited the girl um, and was demanding like some kind of immunity or something, but she claimed that she recruited this girl and, and was there when Trump and Epstein molested her um, it, or took her to them. Um, so I did some more digging on that. This, this, these people were represented by, so this is what happened. They did, they did something called catch and kill. So the story of this woman's claims of abuse at Trump's hands, 
Trump and Epstein's hands, uh, was shopped around. And the National Enquirer, which is run by Jews, probably also – they're definitely Zionists, right? Um, they're, they're of the Likud wing of the Jewish community. Mm-hmm. And the National Enquirer paid this, these people a lot of money to take the story and then kill it. That's yeah. what they call catch and kill. But then what, this is what's interesting. So Lisa Bloom. I remember this. Lisa Bloom, Lisa Bloom, this, the, the famous Jewish feminist lawyer, was representing this client. Then there was a conversation between the head of the National Enquirer and Lisa Bloom. And shortly after that conversation, Lisa Bloom dropped her client. And so my question is, what was the content of this conversation? What is the explanation? Lisa Bloom was saying that she dropped her client because she was receiving credible death threats, um, the girl, after filing the lawsuit against Trump. She was receiving tons and tons of death threats and intimidation. Um, okay. And then Lisa Bloom said that for that reason, she couldn't go forward with the lawsuit. And they dropped it on their own. Um, and there's no further uh, no further action taken on something no, like that. Oh, we're no just allowed further. to let people do that, right? In now, America, not, you could just do that, right? You just intimidate. Uh, yeah. So I'm not saying for sure that Trump did what they what what she accused him of, but I just found that whole ordeal, which happened like a month before the election, mm-hmm. to be extremely suspicious. That whole thing. And I didn't see anyone in the media. Of course, it makes sense. The National Enquirer bought the story and then... And it didn't publish it, yeah. Yeah, and then the people from the National Enquirer operating on behalf of Trump's lawyers. Remember, they were... Michael Cohen was convicted of using campaign money to pay off Stormy Daniels, also through the National Enquirer. So this is like the clearinghouse for all the dirt they had on Trump. They would inform Trump, and then Trump would send his lawyers to pay the National Enquirer people, who would then in turn use that money to pay off these people who shut up. Um, and so that's what happened with the Stormy Daniels uh, lawsuit. Uh, well, sorry, the Stormy Daniels thing. So that also happened with this story. And so that is something that I found very suspicious. And I, you know, if, if Trump is guilty, of, remember, he was saying, oh, Epstein's a great guy. He was saying that for years, like mm-hmm. he's openly associated with Jeffrey Epstein and thought it was a great thing. He thought it was bringing, building him clout. Um, so long story short, um, there's I think there's there's a lot of smoke there with Trump and Epstein. Um, it's already been established that Trump's golf course was. His, or rather his resort in Mar-a-Lago was used to recruit underage girls for Epstein and Ghislaine Maxwell. So there's a lot of smoke there. So if I had to put together a theory, um, Trump may actually just be blackmailed by Israelis. <laughs> I would assume so, yeah. I mean, I don't... What? There's really no other conclusion to reach... Uh, but based on his sort of really obsequious, I mean, it, it could be that maybe he just actually likes Israel. But, you know, no. at some point it seems getting it seems kind of ridiculous. No, he's just they've just they he might even see it as just a straight up business deal. You know what I mean? Like he, he's just that's very possible. I mean, you know, again, I don't have proof. This lawsuit yeah. never went to never went to trial. Every frivolous Trump lawsuit like that woman who claims Trump groped her in the pussy or something. Yeah, those go that, all that, the way. You know, those go all the way. Yeah, and he's found guilty of them, and yet right. this one, which is related to Epstein, related to, to a big deal in American politics. Right, this one was killed before it ever saw right. the light of day. That's very shady, very sketchy. Yeah. Okay. Um. So my question is, like, is Trump uh, an Israeli asset? I think he obviously is. And there's more about that that I want to talk about because we got to talk about Trump's poll numbers. But there's more here that's very interesting. Just firsthand testimony of how this machine works. From somebody who, hey, you probably 
we probably have totally different views than this guy on a lot of yeah, things. Yeah, it's Jane Fonda's husband. But actually, I'll bet you on like foreign policy stuff. You know, well, we'd probably be a little bit more militant than he is in terms of our views on this. But, but like the point is that he he actually has you know he's even ashamed of of how deeply he let himself get in with the Israelis, and he's confessing it. And he's saying he's ashamed. So after being declared a friend to Israel, he says, in my case, a key to the friendship issue was the Los Angeles-based Council General Benjamin Navone. Though politics drew us together, our personal friendship was genuine enough. I think that Benny, as he was called, wanted to pull me and my then-wife, Jane Fonda, into a pro-Israel stance. But he himself was an old-school labor social democrat who personally believed in a negotiated political settlement. We'll see. We enjoyed personal intellectual time together, and I still kept on my bookshelf a wooden sculpture, blah, blah, blah. The de facto Israeli endorsement would be communicated indirectly in compliance with laws that prohibit foreign interference in American elections. So, basically, it would actually be technically illegal for the Israeli government to designate a candidate, that's our guy, we support him, you should support him too as as a foreign government. Right. So Jews have developed informal channels through which this is communicated, but in their circles it's known that it is the official stamp of approval from the Jewish state. Um, we would be seen and photographed together in public. That's and that would be a signal. Yes. Benny would make positive public statements that could be quoted That's in campaign mailings. Going on a trip to Israel thing is about. Yep. Yep, that's why they go on trips to that's Israel. That's why they all go right? there. That's why they touch the whaling wall. That's why they and they all do it. And that's also why uh, then they 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 get they get their picture taken with some Jew you've never heard of. He's a power broker in their area, and that's sending the signal. As a result, I was being declared kosher by the ultimate source, the region's representative of the state of Israel. Nevertheless, throughout the spring of 1982 campaign, I was accused of being a left-wing madman allied to terrorism and communism. So you still don't fully get it because the, there's the other side of the Israeli spectrum will still probably attack you depending on, on how, you, how you are. The National Democratic leader Walter Mondale commented jokingly during a local visit that I was being described as worse than Lenin. It was a wild ride. I won the hard-fought primary 51-45. to 45. The Burman stayed neutral. Willie Brown, Richard Alator, and the rest of the California Democratic establishment were quiet, quiet, quietly supportive. I easily won the general election. But that summer, I made the mistake of my political career. The Israeli Defense Forces invaded Lebanon, and Benny Devon wanted Jane and me to be supportive. It happened that I had visited the contested border in the past, witnessed the shelling of civilian homes, and interviewed Israeli and Lebanese zealots, crazies, I thought, who were preaching preventative war. I posed cross-border rocket attacks and naively favored a demilitarized zone. This is something the Jews wanted. They wanted America to do their dirty work even then. Ever curious and aware of my district's politics, I decided we should go to the Middle East, but only as long as the Israeli incursion, as it was delicately called, was limited to the 10-kilometer space near the Lebanese border as a cushion against rocket fire. They, this, this shit doesn't change. The shit doesn't change. Benny Devon assured me that the incursion was limited and would be followed by negotiations and a solution. I also made clear our opposition to the use of any fragmentation bombs in the area and my ultimate political identification with what Israeli peace now would say. There followed a descent into moral ambiguity and real politic that still haunts me today. Where we arrived at the Israeli-Lebanon border, the game plan promised by Benny Devon had changed utterly. Instead of a localized border conflict, Israel was invading and occupying all of Lebanon with us in tow. Its purpose was to destroy militarily the PLO, haven in Lebanon. This had been General Ariel Sharon's secret plan all along, and I never will know with certainty whether Benny Devon had been deceived along with everyone else. I'm afraid he wasn't, my friend. <laughs> it was you. You got duped. You got duped by a Jew you thought was your friend. Yeah. For the next you No, know, I, I have um so I have a two thousand eleven speech from when Joe Biden was the vice president. Mm-hmm. You can find this on the Obama White House Archives um, dot gov. And um, this was a speech to a, a yeshiva 
in Detroit. Let me read some uh, choice mm-hmm. comments he made. This is from the transcript. It says, I'm probably one of the few Christian members of the Congress who can say the Motsi laughter. I've attended more Jewish dinners than some of you have. Applause. I've raised more money from APAC than some of you have. Applause. Oh, my God. I have spent more money raising money for the Federation than some of you have, the Jewish Federation. You think I'm kidding, don't you? I'm not. It says here, although I was not educated here, I was educated in the tradition. I was not educated in a Jewish school. I was educated in the traditions of Judaism. I was educated about the oppression and genocide committed against the Jews, the historic ties between the Jewish people and the land of Israel. I was educated at my dinner table by what my Jewish friends at home refer to, and you would, as a righteous Christian, a man who taught us that without vigilance, the safe haven of Israel, it could happen again without Israel. So this is uh, the now president. This is the vice president at Mm -hmm. the time. And what was going on is that, believe it or not, Obama, I mean, think about how crazy this is. Obama was actually a legit thorn in the side of Israel, not because he was going against them, but he was just simply taking a common sense position. Um, Obama, Obama and the people in his cabinet calculated that there was no way to stop Iran from, there's no way to destroy the Iranian government. Right. Um, there's no way, no sanctions were going to work. So they signed the nuclear deal. Um, and the purpose of this was to, unlike Israel, right? Israel has nuclear weapons and yet is like the only, it's the only country other than North Korea that doesn't have weapons inspectors. Right. That is nuclear. That has nuclear weapons. So, Iran signed this nuclear deal where they would agree to weapons inspections from international bodies, but the Israelis thought that they could actually collapse the government. Yes, like they didn't. They they, they don't want Iran to just not have nuclear weapons. They want to get rid of the government there. Right, and so. What happened was this disagreement with the Obama administration led to their support for Trump. Now, with that said, let me make something clear. Trump's momentum was natural. Mm -hmm. Trump's campaign was natural. It was only really later in 2016 when they started to approach him to buy him off. And they did. Um, Israeli agents got in touch with them. They they were at first supporting people like Marco Rubio and Ted yeah. Cruz. They didn't think Trump had a chance. And well, also it, remember Trump was very much against intervention in Syria. Like he 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 never really said much about Iran. Um, that I know of. Uh, oh, he on, did. He did on his. He did. He on did. his personal private Twitter, he was talking about Iran in like years. I don't, I don't remember, but That's I do my... remember. I do remember at the time when I was supporting Trump, crooking an eyebrow. Well, when the man th- yeah, kept talking about Iran. That's what I'm. I'm not disputing that. I'm talking about he had a history on Twitter, which he had like a massive Twitter account before he was even running for president. He was one of like the most yeah. followed Twitter accounts because he was always saying shit, right? Right. Um, and he was really critical of the intervention in Syria, and he was actually criticizing Obama for being going too far, and he was basically saying, this is stupid, this isn't our interest, stop this stuff, right? And I don't recall if back in those days he was saying anything about Iran. Um, and yeah, so, so he basically ran on opposition, because remember, in those days, the possibility of America getting directly, further directly involved, like open war, against Syrian government was on the table. It was being discussed regularly. Yes. And he was actually sort of running against that. People were assuming Hillary Clinton, and she was running on starting a war with Syria, basically. Yes, she was. Uh, So he actually had to kind of be anti-war there, but then really pro-aggressive towards Iran, which is a schizophrenic policy. Oh, yeah. Um, And also, Jews probably got some assurances from him that he would not really do anything to 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 fully stop the civil war in Syria because every We're time still, we still have troops in Syria yes we and, and they're there illegally and yeah. uh, the Bashar government you know they they actually did a lot of work the other the other thing that the Obama administration did do 
was they did a lot of work to pressure the typical Arab client states to disassociate from Assad. That's gotten reversed in the last couple of years. They, they've all started reassociating with him. So Obama was, was you know, and, and so often what you hear from the supporters of these of these various people who are, like, supportive of them, but they don't like Israel, they don't like Israel, pro-Israel policy, is that they're like, well, but this is, the you know, the best you can do. At least Obama didn't start a war. He, he did a little bit here and there to appease them. And it's like, well, why should we have to do that? Right. You know, like, that's the problem. Like, we shouldn't have to live like this where the, every well, president think, is blackmailed what, in some way, you know? What gave Trump away was the appointment yeah. of Bolton, mm-hmm. of John Bolton, which yep. was the personal choice of Sheldon, Sheldon right. Adelson, which nobody asked for, right? Donald Trump to appoint Bolton. Nobody this is actually asked for it. public record that he paid yeah. Donald Trump and he personally selected Bolton for that role to replace Rex Tillerson. Yep. That was not – it's not even up for debate. Yeah. Sheldon Adelson, who's – by the way, uh, Bamford has great journalism on Sheldon Adelson and his dirty mafia money. Mm-hmm. I mean all of his money – so Adelson is constant was when he was alive. He died last in 2021. Mm-hmm. By the way, Adelson was buried in the Mount of Olives, which is where elite Jews are buried. Mm-hmm. And his funeral was attended by not just Bibi, but like various Israeli national security elites. Meaning, you know, kind of reminds me of Robert Maxwell mm-hmm. a little bit. He was also buried in the Mount of Olives. Um, you know, um, so. Well, what's going on here is uh, Adelson has all these casinos around the world. He has some in Singapore. He has others in um, um, in uh, what's that? Macau, the big something uh, like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That that place it was, it was run by the Portuguese, and now it's like kind of into, it's it's like Hong Kong, and that's half independent, but it was given to the Chinese, but it's sort of a, its own thing. Um, and so what's going on is that a lot of Adelson's casinos were in trouble when the, the Chinese started doing some corruption crackdowns because it's literally just money laundering that he's doing. Um, this is actually something that has come up over the years. But Bamford said that like the, the extent of which the money laundering is happening and how this money, this dirty money is fueling Republican politics. This dirty Jewish casino money, mm-hmm. he said, is a national security threat that nobody in the State Department will investigate. Um, the 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 origin of this man's money, like he said, like the, the getting money from a foreign enterprise that is related to organized crime violates several election uh, laws, and yet. This money is used to fund Republicans. In fact, even now, where do the Republicans meet for their big national meeting last time they did it was in Las Vegas. Right. Right. It's not. Yeah. Uh, Merrick Garland doesn't care. He's Jewish. Right. But he, he's and, supposed to be some big enemy of Trump, right? Yes. Right. Yes. They could they could kill the Trump movement just by. Cracking down on this dirty Jewish mafia money, and they they don't. Yeah, they won't. Okay, they don't. And the reason they don't is one, they agree with what Shell Nadelson is doing. They may not agree with Trump. They see Trump as a problem, um, but they, they don't do want to blow the problem. lid. They don't want to blow the lid on this Jewish money in, no. in our politics, right? Because then someone could turn around and look at um, Haim Saban, who's Right. Plays the same role in the Democrats that Sheldon Adelson plays on the right. Republican side of things, right. which is also a lot of Haim Saban's money is dirty. Yeah. There was a lawsuit a few years back where it showed that all of his money, it's, it's constantly moving in and out of these uh, Seychelles Islands uh, accounts. And it's like tax havens and tax fraud and all this going on with his money. Um, and yet, again – no interest from the IRS. No interest from. I think he had to pay like a small uh, fine once. Um, so what Bamford is frustrated by is he's a libtard, and he sees all of this, and he's like, you know, yeah. Uh, he was saying he claims 
that there are people in the FBI and people in the secret in the um, in, in just the deep state that are actually trying to do something about this, but that they keep getting blocked by political appointees in Washington. I don't know how true that is, um, but he insists that this is true. That they're constant, like the 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 red lines. They describe them as red lines that the Israelis are constantly crossing when interfering and spying on Americans are so like they 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 they'll say that they they're not even they're not even like the Russians and Chinese don't even do some of the shit they do. Um, the Iranians don't try to do the shit they do. Like the amount of spying, blackmail, extortion, threats, uh, dirty money. Money with mysterious origins. Like, no, people still don't know where Jeffrey Epstein got all of his money. There's some idea that it's something to do with Les Wexner from Victoria's Secret. That's not the whole truth. It's not the whole truth. And Les Wexner is probably a Mossad agent. Yeah. Or, or an, a scientist. Well, again, it's it's like again when when you see these these rich Jews and and the money and they spread them around. It's like. You know where does one end and the other begin? Like I think I think like a category like Mossad agent. It's like do they need to be that in order for when right. their country calls them and is like, listen, you know, and and on some level, yeah, like the, the the reason they accumulate this money through these vice industries that they're involved in is to do this stuff, right? Is to do this kind of thing. So it's like I, who's I, I an wanna, agent of what? You know, I want to bring you. I want to bring your attention to something called. Uh, the, the, there was an incident in 2009 with a, a Democratic congressman from California named Jane Harmon. And <clears throat> essentially what happened is that the National Security Agency uh, intercepted a call between her and the Mossad. Mm-hmm. <laughs> where the Mossad was promising her to get her on the uh, – they were – I believe they were promising to to get her on the intelligence committee chairmanship, and basically, the the way they would do it is by bribing Nancy Pelosi. This was caught on a fucking wiretap. We have Israeli agents promising this, and the way it worked was that um, the NSA caught this wiretap, and then at the same time, they had Haim Saban telling Nancy Pelosi to appoint her to the intelligence chairmanship while the Israelis were promising her that she was going to get appointed. So (laughs) you say, you know, at what point are they Mossad or not? Well, clearly Haim Saban is taking orders from Mm -hmm. Israeli intelligence. Okay. Because, and of course he denied that the conversation ever happened, but you know, there's, there's actual tapes. It says here, Tina Daunt of the Los Angeles Times asked Saban via email about his alleged role. He wrote back, quote, no idea. It says here, Haim Saban was queried about his involvement in the controversy that surrounded Representative Jane Harmon. As the story goes, Harmon said she would try to intervene in an investigation of pro-Israel lobbyists. And in return, Saban would withhold financial support for Nancy Pelosi if she failed to give Harmon the chairmanship of the House Intelligence Committee. Wow. So this was caught on a wiretap. Yeah. No criminal charges came of it. So it says on Wikipedia that um, that uh, Harmon and an agent of the Israeli government in which Harmon allegedly agreed to lobby the Justice Department to reduce or drop criminal charges against two employees of APAC in exchange for increased support for Harmon's campaign. Of course, they don't tell you what form that took, but that also couldn't possibly have been the extent of the deal because she was, um, as they're describing her, as tenaciously pro-Israel, and she has a 95% rating from Americans for Democratic Action, meaning she is totally a libtard, except she supported the Iraq War and yeah. she supports Israel. But on every other issue, she's as, she's as liberal as liberal can be. So there you go. Listen to this. Harmon was a co-sponsor of the Armenian Genocide Recognition Resolution Bill. However, while co-sponsoring the bill... 
She wrote a letter to House Foreign Affairs Committee Chair Tom Lantos urging him to delay the legislation. (laughs) Her argument was while the genocide deserved recognition, it was not a good time to embarrass Turkey, given that the country's role in moderating extremism in the Middle East, in other words, given their role as an ally of Israel. And, and, And actually monitoring groups on behalf of Israel. So this is a story from the Jewish Telegraph yeah, pages. I mean, it says, the CQ story on the taping of Congresswoman Jane Harmon's phone call with an Israeli agent back in 06, in which she allegedly offered to do her part in the Justice Department's espionage case against former APAC staffers in exchange for the agents doing his part to help her out with House leadership. Anyway, basically, it's largely accepted that this agent in question is Haim Saban. Okay? Okay. It says here... (laughs) So Haim Saban is a dual citizen. Mm -hmm. He's born in Israel. Um, And he's actually famous. I, I actually... I have the quote here somewhere. He gave a speech in Israel where he said, oh, running, running politics in America is easy. You fund the candidates. This is his words. You fund the candidates. You start a foundation. You start at think tanks and foundations, and then you buy up media, and then they do whatever you say. Yeah. And, of course, Saban owns the uh, – basically owns the Brookings Center, right? Yeah. They have the Saban Center at Brookings where uh, essentially what – if you know the history of the Saban Center at Brookings – they were famous for promoting the Iraq war to libtards. Yep. Um, so what, what they, they were making like the, the human rights case for the Iraq war. Yeah. Um, and, and of course, Kenneth Pollack is another guy, another shady. He used to run it. Another very shady person. All of these people are pretty much Israeli agents of some, some stripe, some shade. Um, and they and they run our country. Yeah. And they're above the law. My my favorite anecdote reading about this though was the one about Arnon Milchin, right? You know who that is, right? Mm-hmm. He was the guy who, who essentially stole the nuclear triggers for mm-hmm. Israel. Yeah. And and then bragged about it openly, engaging in espionage against the United States. Anyway, he was saying that he had tons of people in Hollywood helping him. <laughs> He's like <laughs> Like, 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 because he was an Israeli citizen um, who did this, right? He's an Israeli mm-hmm. citizen who ran New Regency, the the film company. Uh, of course, they're famous for films like Fight Club. He was the he was the executive. What is it with what is it with these people and that fucking tryhard masculinity? The the, Dude, the what is it with them? The movies it seems like they're always he was behind. Twelve. He produced um, Twelve Years a Slave, JFK, Heat, Fight Club, right. and Mr. and Mrs. Smith. So he, uh, you know, what's funny about yeah. Twelve Years a Slave is that he was actually engaging as part of the the illegal Israeli nuclear program. He was running guns for apartheid South Africa. Right. That, that, that at the same time, that in exchange for what they needed. That was this, right. this Israeli operation to get what they needed for their nukes. And then, of course, they threw the South Africans over the bus as soon as they got what they wanted. Dude, this guy's involved in like a lot of very famous movies. Yeah. And Robert, oh, De Niro, Robert De Niro is, is, from my understanding, there's no accusation that he's an Israeli agent. But wherever Arnon Milchin goes, Robert De Niro follows. Hmm. Interesting. Okay. That's another weird thing going on in Hollywood, but it's 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 the the, the thing is who's the who's the uh, the collaborator? There was like a Gentile who worked with Milchin and actually went to jail um, for this espionage. He never went to jail. Mm. Um, who I'm was not it? sure? Oh my god! Uh, yeah, I don't I don't actually know who that would be, but I do remember that that happened. Because we there have covered this before, him and and the, the Justice yes. Department went after the goy and left him alone. Oh, yes, we. Me. I don't. I mean, it'll take a little while to, to research it. Oh, but I, we've covered this guy, Richard before. Kelly Smith. Yeah, that's what I, I just found it too. 
Dr. Richard Kelly Smith, an aerospace yeah. executive and scientist who made illegal shipments of Krytrons, which could be used as nuclear weapon triggers. So, yeah. Right. And meanwhile, Arda Bilchard is openly bragging about helping him. No one does anything to him. Yeah. There is an interesting anecdote where Milchin's um, – during the Obama administration, the the State Department – because you know he's an Israeli citizen. He's not an American citizen. Mm-hmm. So he's in America running this Hollywood company doing all this espionage on a visa. And so what happened that was very interesting is that somebody in the State Department revoked his visa all of a sudden. And what happened then – is that he called up Bibi, Bibi Netanyahu, and he called, and then Netanyahu calls up John Kerry, and they mm-hmm. gave him his visa back. And there's no explanation, no congressional hearing on why John Kerry did that. John Kerry, of course, is also a Jew, um, something he admitted later. Um, so, you know, th- this is something that that is basically. The way that Arnon Milchin was brought down, or at least the, the only legal pressure he has, is from Israel itself because he was actually um, – he's actually wanted in Israel, Arnon Milchin, for bribing Netanyahu. Yes, I was going to say that they, there's charges that he was bribing Benjamin Netanyahu. This stuff gets complicated though. Yeah. So, um, and, and real quick, before we go forward, uh, I'm going to stop right here. This is the end of the free hour. Uh, for those of you that are listening to the free hour, uh, go ahead. If you want to listen to the rest of the show, which probably be another hour and a half, two hours, depending on how long we go tonight, um, go ahead and go to the right slash paywall, get a subscription, sign up so we can continue to bring you this kind of news and commentary. Um, and we will be right back for those of you that have paid. <laughs> 